Thank you for listening to Lone Star Community Radio. This program was broadcasted and recorded live from the LSCR studios in downtown Conroe, Texas. Lone Star Community Radio is supported by listeners like you. Donate and sponsor today. For more information on getting involved with Lone Star Community Radio, contact us at lscrstudios at gmail.com or visit us online at www.irlonestar.com. Hi, I'm Kenneth Danielle, and you are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZWLP Conroe and 106.1 KZCCLP Conroe and worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. Good afternoon, everybody. You're listening to The Cindy Cochran Show, and it is Thursday, and listen... I got something to tell you. You're going to be so excited if you live in and around Texas. Uh, we've got an 80% chance of rain all over the place. And they said if you're anywhere close to Texas, you may get some rain. And it's going to be torrential. So uh, everybody get excited for that because that's going to happen in the next couple of days. Also, I have to warn you that they are still working on 45 and I am just going like, are you crazy? They're still going to do that. So at, um, I don't know what time they start this thing, but it'll be this weekend. So if you're even thinking about going south on 45, forget about it. It's not going to happen because you'll never make it. Okay, so I've warned you about that. And I just have to say that the Astros won by one point yesterday. They squeaked it out, one point. And then breaking news... I wish we had one of those things, breaking news. The judge who issued the affidavit for the raid on Mar-a-Lago just said he's going to uh, allow parts of that uh, affidavit to be seen. So he's going to let that happen. But first, he's going to give the government a week to redact anything that they feel like needs to be redacted. So unless you can read through black ink, it may not be great. But it's just, a, I don't know. That's the games they play. But anyway, just letting you know, that's uh, that's going to be all over the news whenever you turn the TV on. Okay, so today, and today only, we have Mindy Miller. Mindy Miller is one of Elvis' last girlfriends, and she has so many stories you wouldn't believe it. Um, she had a great relationship with Elvis, and that... Um, especially in in the time of life that he was, it was just, it was great. And so she has been at Elvis Week, and they, you know, the, the fans come from all over the world to see this and to hear the stories of people that really knew Elvis. And so she's got some stuff to share, and she said, there's some stuff that happened that you won't believe, Cindy, and I'll share it with your audience. And I went, yes, that's great. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Uh, Mindy Miller, one of Elvis Presley's last girlfriend, will be back. You are listening to The Cindy Cochran Show, Real Reality Radio. Y'all, it's DJ Mike from Dan Simon, Texas. Join me Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. as I count down the top 10 Texas Red Dirt songs that are packing the dance floor. I'll be featuring local artists and the story behind the hits, shows in the area, as well as new songs that make you want to dance. It's Dance Time in Texas with DJ Mike on Lone Star Community Radio, 104.5 KCZW and 106.1 KZCC, Conroe, Texas, or online, IRLoneStar.com. 
Second Saturday Divorce Workshop provides unbiased information to help you understand your options and move forward with your life. This divorce workshop is for you if you are contemplating divorce, in the process of divorce, already filed for divorce, or post-divorce. You will explore the emotional, legal, and financial aspects of divorce from professionals who have guided others through divorce. For more information on this divorce workshop, contact SecondSaturdayWoodlands.com or call 832-375-0900. And we're back on the Cindy Cochran Show, and we have in the wings Mindy Miller. Oh, I'm so excited. I love this lady. She's uh, become like a dear friend we have never met, but it's just we've talked over the phone enough, and uh, and with that two-hour, uh, let's see, you're two hours behind me. And so it is just, it's been great. We've had great conversations. And Mindy, I'm so glad you're back and you're here on our show. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, Mindy. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. Okay, I'll get it fixed one second. Okay, one second, and Mindy will be with us. But uh, I am dying to find out right what is the deal on uh, on what she had happened while she was there in Elvis Week. It is going to be amazing. I'm going to put. She's got pictures that uh, you have to go to Mindy Miller on YouTube. And uh, look at the picture. She has she has so many things that have happened to her, and it it's not only you know we, we talked about she dated a lot of interesting and and important and big people uh, right before Elvis. So, but Elvis became this. Everybody wants to know about uh, what was he like. Even Don Wilson will tell you will tell you that when people find out that he was around Elvis, that he lived in Graceland and all of that. Oh my word! He will, he will say. People will say, "Oh well, can I touch your arm? Did Elvis ever touch your arm?" And he goes, oh, "Yeah, go ahead. That's fine." So uh, it's it's interesting. And fans can be. I must I must ask her about fans. Fans are either they're great or they're annoying or they're what are they? Mindy, are you there? I'm here, Cindy. How oh, are you? Fine, fine. I just told the people we've never met. Physically, we never met, but but we talk over the phone. I feel like I know you and all that's going on, and uh, and it's great. I just I love you to death. Well, bless your heart, and I feel the same way. And I thank you for always thinking of me and taking your time with me, and and always going out of your way. Well, listen, if <laughs> trying to get a release form has been has become a fun thing. And you, you got it done, and you were, it was, I mean, really, like, under the gun, because you just got back from Elvis Week, so I, I had to get the, the release form uh, signed, and you did. I know. Perfect. I it know. was perfect. You know, every, everything these days is so, um, so rushed, it feels like, and I think we're all trying to get back to what our normal lives were. Oh, uh, yes. Know, before pandemic hit, so I think that has a lot to do with everything. Uh, everything. And, uh, you know, and, and people are finally coming out again. So it's a blessing, and uh, I think each of us has learned something from from kind of being sheltered for a couple of years. You oh, know? yes, yes. And, and, and we want to thank the, the guys at Kinko's. <laughs> she said, I'm standing here waiting at Kinko's. What are we going to do? We gotta... I know, I know. <laughs> it was... And people have been very patient lately. So That's great. That's, one of the many blessings, you know, patience is one, not one of my virtues. So I'm still learning. 
Yes, it's yeah. We're always tested with that, aren't we? But uh, well, listen, you are fresh from Elvis Week, and I know your head is still spinning from all the activities that they they go through and they put you through. Uh, but it's it's interesting. Now a lot of people, if they hadn't listened in the last uh, six years, because you were on about five or six years ago with me, and um, we talked about how you met Elvis and. And I know you've probably had to, you know, say this 552 times this week. But if you wouldn't mind just giving our listeners a, you know, a Reader's Digest of how you guys met. Well, um, as I've always told the story, I had a premonition, which I've, I've had premonitions since I was a little girl. Usually they come true. Um, not every single one, but usually they do. And when I have premonitions about other people, they usually are very true as well. So I have to be careful what I say to somebody um, and how I say it, or sometimes I just keep it to myself, and then if it comes through, they share something with me, and I'll say, yeah, I had a feeling that was going to happen, and they say, really? And I said, yeah. So I had a premonition that I was going to meet Elvis when our cars passed in um, West Hollywood uh, in about... Uh, nine, I was going to say 2000. In 19, <laughs> let's see, I met him when I was 24, so that mm-hmm. was uh, 1970 um, something. So I met him in 1975. I was 24. So I think I had that premonition. It was a couple of years before that, it was before I moved to Europe. Our cars were passing by each other, and I felt this inexplicable energy. And as I've told people, and I'm sure they've heard before, his energy always entered the room before he did because his his vibratory um, uh, energy was so huge and so strong that you could feel it. You could feel the energy before he physically ever entered the room. And so um, I had pulled the car over. I said to my girlfriend, Carol, I said, I got a premonition that not only am I going to meet this man, but I'm going to know him and I'm going to know him well. And I wasn't a big fan. You know, I mean, I loved him. I'd seen his movies. My mom had bought me two forty-five records and I saw him on the Ed Sullivan show. But I was quite flabbergasted when about two years later I did meet him. And I had been living in Europe, uh, in England, uh, sorry, in Italy, and I had been in, uh, decided that I was going to stay in Europe. So I came home for one week, and I was going to sell my car, and um, I was going to um, uh, get the rest of my clothes and get rid of my apartment. And I went out to a private club that night called the Candy Store, where a lot of stars went. And at that time, the people that were going to these, these private clubs were Jack Nicholson, Warren Baby. Uh, Raquel Welch, Jacqueline Bissett, all these people. So I went into this club where I used to go dancing, and a friend of mine uh, came up to me and said, listen, I haven't seen you in a while. I'd like to invite you to a really special party. And I said, well, I'm not really interested. You know, I'm um, I'm only here for a week. I'm going back to Europe. And he said, well, uh, let me give you a call and, you know, check in with you every day, and you may change your mind. And I said, okay. So he called me every day, and about the second day he called, second or third day he called, um, I said, what is so special about this party? He said, well, it's going to be at Elvis Presley's house. But I didn't really <laughs> think anything about it. Man. At the time, 
I didn't think anything about it at the time, Cindy, because a lot of people in the entertainment industry, whether they're musicians or comedians, actors, whatever, they'll buy two or three different houses. They'll rent some of them out. Um, you know, they put their money in property. Uh, and so they, they may rent out a house they're not even living in. Uh, and they'll rent it out for parties, political um, gatherings, things like that. So I thought, well, even if it is his real house, he may not even be there. And I thought, you know, the, the light bulb above my head went on, and I thought, well, just go. You never know. So I got dressed. I was an hour late because I'm thinking it's a party. Nobody in Hollywood is is ever on time for a party. <laughs> Every time comes and goes. Right. So I went up to 144 Montevale. They'd given me the address. And I thought, you know, gee, where are all the cars? I don't see any cars. And funny enough, years later, the house directly across the street from Elvis's on Montevale was where uh, Michael Jackson bought his home, right across the street from wow. Elvis's. Oh. And that, that's where Michael Jackson passed away, right across the street from Elvis's last home in uh, Homeby Hills. That's, so that's just a, uh, you know. Yeah, that is something. But I pulled up, and there were no cars. And I thought, well, the valet must be taking the cars around the back or down the side streets of Homeby Hills, which is what they used to do, to park the cars. And I knocked on the door, and one of the uh, Memphis Mafia guys, I don't remember who it was, answered the door and said, oh, you must be Mindy. And I thought, you know, I looked around, and I thought, well, how does he know my name? It's a party. You know, he there's no guest list. He didn't have a list of anybody. There's no red rope. Um, now, wait. So, now, Mindy, wait a minute. So, at this point, so you never had that that um, thing that went off in your mind, dun, 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 that never went off in your head? <laughs> no, 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 nothing. I just thought, well, this is strange. You know, I'm at the house. There are no cars. Um, and he, you know, he knew my name, so I thought, well, maybe... He's memorized the guest list, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he invited me in the house, and I quickly looked around. I didn't see any people. I heard no music. There was no DJ. There was nothing. And so he invited me into another room, which is a large, large den. I think the house is probably at least, oh, I don't know, five, 7,000 square feet, if not larger. And he invited me into the den. And as soon as I walked in the den, all the Memphis Mafia guys were sitting around the room. And he sat me on the couch, and uh, mm-hmm. he said, everybody, this is Mindy Miller. And I thought, well, this is really strange, but I didn't think anything of it. And I was 24 at the time, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, you know, just be cool, and I was very reserved. Mm-hmm. And I'd already been in the entertainment industry since I was 12 years old. Right. So, you know, it was another day in time, and I didn't have fear about all these guys, but I had no idea who they were. And immediately they started firing off all these questions. Who are you? Are you spiritual? Do you read the Bible? Are you religious? Do you have a family? Where do you live? Where did you go to school? Do you have brothers and sisters? Do you like to travel? Um, you know, what subjects did you like in school? And it was it was really like an inquisition. Like right. For a job or something. And so I'm just answering the questions, being very nice and quiet and very congenial. And then I saw two guys walk out. I didn't know where they went, but I later found out they went upstairs to Elvis, who had been waiting for me in his bedroom. And he knew that he was going to meet me. And uh, I guess the particular person 
that invited me to the party initially, my friend Ron, uh, who I knew that, and he knew them, um, Elvis had been up in his bedroom waiting for me, watching out of his bedroom window for me. Now, he knew he had a blind date. He told me later he knew he had a blind date. And he said, didn't you know you had a date with me? I said, not at all. He said, well, how did you end up here? <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, I was basically invited to a party, and I was told it would be at your house, but not that you would ever be here or not that I would ever have a date with you. I was just coming to a party. And he said, oh, I see. So he didn't know. Oh, and, uh, that's so, so wild. I know. So I was sitting there on the couch in the den, and all of a sudden, I felt this same kinetic energy that I had felt two minutes beforehand when our cars passed each other, and I looked over at him. And that's when I knew it was Elvis, you know, in the car. Mm-hmm. Because he was, dri- he was driving one of his four black Dutch Bearhawks. He had three black and one white, and he kept one of them here in Los Angeles. So... Um, you know, I was very curious to see who had been driving that car because you I'd never seen that car before. In L.A., you see everything because it's really the entertainment capital of, of you know, of the world, primarily. Right. right. And so that's when, you know, we had passed. And so there I was, and this energy just hit me upside the head like it had a couple of years before that. And something just told me, turn to your right. And I turned to right with this heightened sense of energy in the whole room. And there was Elvis standing in the doorway. And he looked at me and he said, sorry, I'm late, but so were you. And oh. as, as, as I tell people, I could have taken that any one of two or three different ways. I could have taken that easily as a negative mm-hmm. and thought, well how, you know, like, well, how rude. Why would you say something like that to me? You know, I could have taken it that way. But I got him, Cindy, immediately. And I knew right away that he meant that as a sense of humor. And I got his humor right away. And he said it absolutely cold, stone face. Mm-hmm. Because that's how Elvis's deliveries were. Right. They were usually very cold, stone face, and it was up to you to get it or not. <laughs> and I got it. And I started cracking up. I started laughing really hard. Because his delivery was impeccable. His timing was perfect. And then he started laughing, and all the guys in the room started laughing. <laughs> and that's what broke the ice. And then he kind of sauntered in. He sauntered into the room. He looked at the guys. He winked at them like, yeah, I got this now. He walked in around the coffee table in front of me. He bent over. He put out his right hand. And he said, hi, honey, I'm Elvis. And I put out my right hand to shake his hand. And I said, hi, I'm Mindy. And he said, may I sit next to you? And I said, sure. And I scooted over, and he sat down. We started talking. We never stopped talking. And in the first hour, he offered me the car and the, the ring, and I turned him down flat. <laughs> oh turned him God. down. I said, no. I said, I can't do that. I don't know you. And I said, if for some reason, you know, we were dating or we would date or we got in a relationship or something down the road, I said, that would be another story. I said, but I was not brought up. To, you know, to accept expensive right. uh, gifts from a man. Because normally in those days it followed with something else, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't. And that's how we met and that's how it started. That's that's awesome that you were interrogated before he, mm-hmm. you know, you yeah. had to be vetted before they, you were able to meet I him. 
That's amazing. I was. Because, like, what question would you have said, you know, the wrong answer to that would have killed the deal? Did they ever tell you? No, but um, later on, um, I was told by someone that shall remain nameless right now, um, because when Elvis said to the guy, she's going to be my new girlfriend, and that was after the second date, and that I was going to go on tour with him when he invited me on tour, um, he, he called my mom. He said, I'd like to call your mom. Does she live locally? And I said, well, yes, she does. She lives in the San Fernando Valley. And he said, can I call her and talk to her? And I said, well, I guess so, but why would you want to? <laughs> and he said, well, I want to get her permission to start dating you and to take you on tour. Wow. And I thought, wow. I mean, I had never had somebody do that, ever. Right. Oh, he was such a now, gentleman. Yeah, I was 24, and he was 15 years older than myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I called my mother, and I said, hi, Mom. And, you know, we talked a minute, and uh, I said, listen, I'm with Elvis Presley at his house, and um, I said, he wants to talk to you. And, of course, she thought I was kidding. Oh, sure. <laughs> and she said, oh, Mindy, stop teasing, you know. and But, you know, she had... She knew that I knew people in the entertainment industry because I'd been in it for so long. And she said, oh, stop teasing. You know, what are you doing? I said, no, Mom. I said, seriously, I'm with Elvis Presley. Uh, you know, we met um, yesterday. This was our second day. I said, we met yesterday, um, which blows the theory that's been going on by one particular person that I had two dates with them. And then she said, oh, then it got down to I had one date with him. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I said, well, Mom, I said, I'm here. He's invited me to, you know, to go on tour with him and all that and travel and bring me to Graceland and meet his family and all that. And she said, really, you're not kidding. I said, no, I'm not. And and so I, Elvis said, let me talk to her. So I gave him the phone, you know, the receiver, and he started talking and he said, hi, Mrs. Bugin, because she had a different last name than me at the time that she had remarried. And he said, hi, Mrs. Bugin, this is Elvis Presley. He said, I've met your daughter yesterday. He said, I really like her. I'd like to start dating her with your permission and to take her on tour and to show her Graceland and have her fly in my new plane with me and all that. And my mother said, is this really Elvis? <laughs> and he said, he, said, he said, yes, ma'am, it is. And then when she started realizing it really was she invited him to dinner, and she goes, "Why don't you come over and have a good home meal?" <laughs> and I thought, I thought, oh brother, I thought, oh boy, oh boy, here we go. And so, Elvis, so Elvis said to her, well, "Yes, ma'am, I'd like that very much." And she says, "Well, when, when can you come over?" He said, "He says, well, not not right now, ma'am. He says I'm going to have to leave in the next day or two, um, and go back home to Grace." And he said, "But thank you for that invitation." He says, "And I hope I can do that one day." And so they talked and talked, and finally they hung up. And he said, "Do you want to say goodbye to your mother?" I said, "Yes." And I said, "Okay, mom." I said, "Do you believe me?" She goes, "Mindy Lynn." She goes, "Next time I talk to you, this better be real." I said, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> that so, is you know, awesome. And see, oh, if we yeah. if we had only had FaceTime back then, would that have oh, been oh my, oh amazing? My God, yeah. And the funny thing is, is the gentleman that introduced me, you know, that invited me to meet him, you know, at least go to the party, his name was Ron Smith, and he's still alive, and he's still around, and he had a a talent agency, and it was a lookalike talent agency. 
So he had a guy that looked like Burt Reynolds, and he had a woman that looked just, you know, almost identical to Queen Elizabeth of England. And um, it was so funny because uh, these people did commercials and print ads and things as the real people. But it was a lookalike agency. But yet, I don't think he ever had an Elvis lookalike. Oh, I thought... Did you start thinking, is this a prank? I and mean, he has one of his lookalikes, you know, yeah, going yeah, to date yeah. me. But I think, you know, that's so funny because people, that's just surreal. And it, to it think was. this is the way I'm going to meet somebody. And uh, and you, you were so much younger than he was. Were you more yeah. of a, let's see, if you'd be 24, were you more of a, a Beatles fan? Um, I was. And I was, um, growing up in Southern California, I was a beach girl. So I was uh, always at the Malibu and Zuma. And so I liked the Beach Boys. I liked Troy Donahue. Uh, you know, he was Surfside 6. I mean, I was a fan of Elvis's, but not in the way that people are today. I didn't have pictures of him in my bedroom. Um, you know, I liked him, but I was never that kind of gaga over yeah, him. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And that's probably think, better for, I mean, for him, I imagine he meets those, like, constantly. So if somebody doesn't have that kind of uh, enthusiasm as a fan, it's probably easier to talk to, right? Well, it was, and I found out later um, by some of the guys in his group, you know, they said, had he been anything like a fan, he would never have dated you. He would have been very nice to you. And, you know, had you asked for an autograph or something, he probably would have autographed something and been very kind to you. And then you would have probably never seen him again because he did not date his fans. And the fact that you were so cool, calm and collected and you've, you've been in the industry for so long, uh, you know, he, I'm sure, felt that you were, you know, pretty cool. And I wasn't gaga. I wasn't crazy. I didn't go nuts or anything. It was just very matter of fact. I'm meeting another person. He happens to be another entertainer. But I had met so many and worked with so many by that time uh, that, yes, he was probably the biggest entertainer in the world, but it didn't faze me. Do you right. know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. It, and yeah. and he, he has such an aura about him of being very down-to-earth and very hometown and just like you're meeting somebody that's works on a truck you know and that you you don't you don't see him as the person on stage uh at that time but whenever you guys started dating and you went to like a concert with him and he one of his concerts uh was it just strange watching people's reaction to him um it really was because i had seen him in concert at the forum a couple of times uh-huh. Before I met him, before I met him, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and again I wasn't Gaga, but I just loved him as an entertainer. But never, ever in my wildest dreams or imagination did I ever think that I would ever meet him. Right, uh, it right. never crossed my mind. And when I did meet him, <clears throat> he wasn't Elvis Presley the entertainer. He was just Elvis Presley at home. Right, um, right. And if you tell people he was, you know, he looked just like he did on his last vacation in Hawaii in 1977 with his little white tennis cap on and his zip-up, you know, um, uh, lounging, you know, outfit to light blue. And then it was either the dark blue stripes down the sides of his arms or the white stripes. He was not all dolled up. He wasn't done up. He 
he didn't look like Elvis Presley, the entertainer. He was just Elvis, the man at home, relaxing, getting ready to meet somebody. So I didn't meet him in that way. I met right. him in a very different way, and that's how I got to know him, and that's the man I fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that's so exciting. Uh, I love that story. I I think that um, everybody that's ever been a fan is like, if I ever met Elvis, what would I do? What would I say? What am I? You know, what would I be like? And and usually, if somebody loves, you know, has been a fan for a long time, they act so crazy, and and that that probably puts the uh, the person off. But I think it does, that it does, it does, and I think also, Cindy, you know, he was very curious as to who I was, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he would say, you know, well, what do you like to do, and you know, what are your interests, and we had so much in common. He loved Hawaii. I grew up in Hawaii the first three or four years of my life. Um, I rode horses from the time I was seven. He loved horses. He rode. I love guns. I I have firearms today. I go practice shooting. He liked firearms. Um, he loved film. I loved film. Uh, grew up, you know, around it, especially in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And he loved fast cars, muscle cars. So did I. And I had that GT Special Mustang. Uh, he liked that car. And uh, then I loved singing. I had sung in school. I had a little group in high school. We sung. We did little personal appearances around our, <laughs> our town, you know. Um, uh, I, we just had so much, and he had wanted to travel in Europe, and I had lived in Europe. I shared that, you know, about him with him about it. Um, I, you know, he loved karate. He's been studying Kenpo. I've been studying Shotokan for years and done all my own stunt work. So we had a lot in common. It wasn't anything about Elvis. It was, it was, he wanted to know who I was, and he was curious if we had things in common to share. Yeah, that right. Was, that, and the spirit, that was important to him. Yeah. And the oh, spiritual and side of it was just... Well, that's, that's what really did it in for both of us. That's where we truly bonded, was over religious beliefs and spirituality. So that's where, that's where after everything we talked about and after everything that we had in common, that's where that really sealed the deal, that first date. That's awesome. I... I love that. I think that was something that um, when I started interviewing people that that knew him or whatever, and they started talking about how spiritual he had become, and I went, "In in what way?" He said, "Well, he was he was really studying the Bible, and he and he liked to talk about it. And not everybody in the entertainment business wants to talk about the Bible. So uh, to find you, I'm sure, was a breath of fresh air for him." Well, he tried to talk about it with other lady friends that he dated and uh, his ex-wife and all that, but the colonel didn't like the books. He told uh, certain people to get rid of them, and they did get rid of the books, unfortunately. Um, and then he met Larry Geller, and Larry Geller was very spiritual. Right, right. And Larry's mother was very spiritual. So Larry grew up in that kind of a household, and, uh, you know, they had a lot in common together. And so, um, you know, it was that first night that Elvis had Al Strada get me all these spiritual books and said, "You wouldn't take the car. You wouldn't take the. <laughs> you wouldn't take the property. You wouldn't take the rings." He said, "But will you take these books?" And I looked at him. I said, "What are they?" 
and they were from my favorite spiritual bookstore called the Bodhi Tree that I lived down the street from, and that's where Elvis ordered most of his books from as well. So then we had that in common. Wow. So we just had all this in common, and it was it was surreal. It was absolutely surreal. Well, now, and then you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, uh, I know that you go out and you do these talks, and then you have. Uh, the side of it, the spiritual side of it, that you when you do these talks, and was that from the picture you had has sent, uh, where the candles and the drapes and well, that was this week, past week, right? That was this week for Elvis Week, two thousand twenty-two. And here's the thing: whenever I'm invited uh, to do speaking engagements or host any of the Elvis shows or the ETA shows or things. I'm not usually supposed to talk about his spirituality. The uh, event planners and the producers of the shows really don't want that. Normally, uh, I'm invited as a speaking guest or mm-hmm. uh, as a you know as a host, and there's not time to talk about that, and they don't want you to talk about it. It goes it goes over the head of most people unless you have a lot of time like the owners of the dojo allowed me to do, I could take as much time as I wanted. The show was supposed to be two hours. I think it was over three hours. Wow. And then the, the meet and greet was at least a couple of hours. And I don't put a time limit on the fans because those are his fans, and he loved them. Right. And I'm for them. So I don't say, oh, well, two hours is up, and I go, I do a hello meet and greet, sell a picture, and that's it. I go much more into that and I spend as much time as they want to spend whatever stories they want to share with me and sit down and maybe we'll all of us will sit down after the show and sit around and they'll tell Elvis stories or what Elvis means to them and that's their time to share with each other and I don't care and the owners of the dojo were absolutely wonderful this was the uh, Tiger Man Karate Dojo and Museum in Memphis, Tennessee down the road from Graceland his house Right. so they whatever show I wanted to do they allowed me to do this wonderful spiritual show about Elvis and to talk about the books that he read that we studied together his favorite chapters, his favorite verses in the Bible all these things have never ever really been discussed by anybody because people weren't into it They, they wanted to date him but they were not into it and they didn't care about that side of him you know what I'm saying? Yes. But, yeah. but I did. And so he knew that I got him. And uh, so the people that bought tickets to this show were people that were really into that side of him and wanted to know that side of him that's never discussed. See, that that just blows my mind. Because of all this, the books that were written that were very negative about him, that's what came out first. And people started reading that and go like, "That can't be Elvis. That's not. That's not the Elvis we know, or or we want to know, or whatever." That's exactly right. Which is why he said to me, "Please, do not ever write a tell-all book." He hated them. He did not like people saying certain things that were private about him or their relationship in a book. I mean, right. and it's the same with the movie. He would never have approved of that movie, the way they showed his mother and him at the end, and. Things that were not true. The movie was beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. Baz was known for doing beautifully looking films. You know, um, the the uh, 
The acting was excellent. Uh, you know, the costumes were beautifully done. The cinematography was gorgeous. All these things. But um, the content, so much of it was not true. And things that Elvis never would have done and never would have proved of, especially with his mother and so many other things. Right, so, right. So the content in some of these books that were written by people, he would never have approved of. And I want to say, why would you discuss him in that way when you wouldn't want certain things that are private said about you, you know? Sure. And then why would you, why would you do that to someone that was so good to you? Right. And, you know, I, I know greed takes over uh, a lot of people and overcomes the friendship you had before and how thankful they should have been uh, with what he had done for them. But that, it was amazing to me that they could write that and until I realized that a lot of that has to do with the publisher and all of them that said, this is what we want, this is what's going to sell books, and this is where you're going to make your money. So they, you know, they kind of pushed into well, it. Well, it was the same with the film. There's, there is sensationalism in the film, mm-hmm. you know, regarding Elvis, regarding his mother. And I will tell you that the people that knew him, including you know, his his first cousin that was with him always, uh, Billy Smith, he right. felt the same way. His wife, Joe, felt the same way. And the people that really, really knew Elvis, we all feel the same way. The fans that never knew Elvis think it's a great film, and they'll spend their money and go back and see it five and six times. And I want to say, okay, out of curiosity, I get that you want to see it, maybe once, maybe even twice. But it's not Elvis, and Elvis left you enough content. Right, that's true. In his films, in his, films, in, his in his interviews, in, in his music, in his concerts, to see the real Elvis. Why would you want to over and over and over to see somebody imitating him with things that are not true? Well, you know, they had, they've had, of course, so many films about him and... And different actors portraying him, and th- those actors would always be so worried that they were going to get stuck in that, in that character, and not be you know hired to do other things. But it was, it was never good. I, I, do you, do you have anyone that did an Elvis impersonation in a movie, or portrayed him in a movie that you thought was really good? Well, what I can say is. Nobody can ever completely emulate Elvis to the point where you think it's Elvis. Now, I've seen a couple of ETAs that when I'm watching them and I've watched them on stage, there will be a moment, an instant where if you look at them, they look just like him oh. in an in moment, in a moment. I know who you're Whether talking about. I know who you're talking about because you were raving about this person and, you, and he was on. You put some, some video of him of, and I don't know the name, but uh, you put yeah. some video, and it was just, it was mind-boggling. Yeah, it was a few years ago, um, but I haven't seen, you know, one or two of these people recently. But I've seen a lot of ETAs. I've been very fortunate to be able to be invited and watch the shows. And I think they all do a good job. But we know it's not Elvis. But right. again, what said to people is there are thousands of people throughout the world that were born after Elvis Presley passed away. And they never had the opportunity to see him live in concert in person. So this will be the closest they ever get. Mm-hmm. 
saying to the emulation of Elvis and his moves and all of that. And people love live music. They love listening to Elvis's music. Right. They love listening to him. So I have to look at it very openly and understandingly that they may see something differently than I do, and especially because I did know him. I did see him in concert over and over and over again. I did study his moves. Right, um, right. Well, I, I think I, that when, excuse me, when um, Sam and I went to see this, Sam's about seven years older than I am, and my, my sister was about six years older than I was. So we were inundated, inundated with Elvis. And then when, so I, I've always, always knew, you know, about him and heard his music. And my mother said when she saw the first time on El, on the, Ed Sullivan, she goes, he's got it. He's got it. This guy's going to be big. And uh, we just, we were just looking at how cute he was. But uh, it was... We saw it, and we walked out of there, and I went, well, what do you think? And he goes, I don't know. I don't remember a lot of that stuff, you know, happening. And if that's are you talking, are you talking about, about the film, the, the movie that Sam and I were lived through a lot of that stuff that was going on, and so we didn't think that was exactly the way it was. It just had a funny feeling when we walked out of there because we we felt like we knew – what was really going on, and then this movie was portraying it in a very strange way. Now, that was Boz's way he does movies, but uh, it still made you feel like... Well, but you would have to remember that he also had input from other people. So whatever input he may have had from other people, he was going on that as well, because sure. he never knew Elvis. He never met Elvis. Right, right. But yet, he, but yet he's trying to do a film, and I'm not putting him down, because he's, a, he's a, uh, an incredible filmmaker, absolutely. Right. But, but the thing of it is, is that, um, you know, he did the same with the movie Moulin Rouge. It was absolutely spectacular looking film, Moulin Rouge. Right. And, and he does things in a way that's number one. But what I'm saying is the content was not um, really true. A lot of the content was not true. It was over-embellishing. Mm-hmm. Elvis would have never wanted certain things done that way. And right. had Elvis been alive, he would never have approved of it. Right. Right. That's what uh, that's what I, I'm telling people. I said, you know, Mindy knows and she has got a different take totally on this movie. And so people who who felt like it was true to, you know, everything, it wasn't. And that wasn't I don't think it meant to be like when he's on the in uh, on the Hollywood sign and he's asking uh, Bender about his uh, career and all that. And that didn't happen that way. It happened in his office. And they they talk like that. He wanted to know what do you think of my career, and he he was being honest with him. But it was in his office after uh, Colonel Parker had left, and they were just by themselves. But they put it on that Hollywood sign, and and people <laughs> wondered like, do you think that's really how it happened? He was sitting on that Hollywood sign, and you know. Well, and this and this is the problem. You see, that's part of the problem. And they'll think that as a young boy, he was going into the black tent and going crazy. And that somebody would hit his forehead and he would fall back and then almost have convulsions on the ground. No, not at all. His mother, his mother Gladys, walked him to school every day and home every day. He got flack for it from the other kids, kind of making fun of him and bullying him because of it. But she was very overly protective. He was not just wandering around, you know, East Tupelo and over to Shake Rag 
wandering around every day doing these things. Right. And that, and that probably came from her losing, you know, his his brother, his twin brother at, huh? at birth, that she was very protective of him. And, and he, he would never have been on the stage yelling and screaming at the colonel in the audience, you're fired, 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 and then picking up somebody's martini glass right in front of him from the stage and guzzling it down his throat and then taking that martini glass and throwing it into the audience. Are you kidding me? I <laughs> would never do that. He hardly drank. I never once saw him take a drink. Right. And he said to me that he didn't drink. He said, the only time I'll have something, you know, I'll have a sip or two is, you know, at somebody's wedding if I'm there or uh, some, you know, special, really special event, a wedding or a birthday. He did not drink. So, I mean, that's not true. There were things that were that were put out there that was just not Elvis Presley. I love how you defend him. You're you're such a such a good defender of him and being well, able to get the truth just, out. It's not, it's, it's not just because I love him, it's because it is the truth. And right. I don't need to I don't need to embellish anything. You know, there are people that come on Facebook and try and there's somebody as we speak, somebody just just said to me right now, this person is horrible. I know who this person is. This person is somebody that went around and, and has tried to decimate my character for six long years. And it's the same person that put me out on Facebook and said, go talk to the fans. This person put me in her book. And then she said, oh, she only had two dates with them and this and that and everything's a lie. And then, oh, then it got down to one date with Elvis. And she's literally on, on Facebook right now trying to decimate my character. Oh, and my people are, word. Yeah, and people are sending me things going, oh, she's at it again. And she does this every single time I do an appearance or something because she thinks that she should be the one out there because she dated an employee of Elvis's and wrote a book. I mean, it's just—I <laughs> oh, mean, but this is what ha- this is what happens in the Elvis world, and there are things that have been told and said about Elvis that aren't true. Uh, there are things that have been printed that he would have never wanted in a book, in these in these tell-all books. He wouldn't mind someone writing a book, a sweet, loving, kind book telling sweet stories about him and sharing what a wonderful person he was. Right. But why, why do that to a man that did everything for you? Exactly. And that's why I love that Don would uh, talk about how Don Wilson has uh, been on the show, of course, before. And he, you know, says that's what he wanted me to know you. He said, if you want to interview someone that will have positive things to say and that w- will not, you know, drag up anything or that's true, untrue, anything that's going to hurt him because of of what the majority of his life was like and what he felt and all that. So I think you and Don are a great team of going around and and what a what a crusade to have is to to bring the real truth about Elvis and the real truth about he had a really deep side to him that a lot of people don't know. Well, they don't because, you see, again, people will hear that he was spiritual, but they have no concept of how he was spiritual or the books that he was reading. They don't read any of the books he was reading. They Mm -hmm. don't know what the books are. They don't know what he was underlining except what's been put out there on Facebook or social media. They don't know where he got it from or why he believed certain things or why he believed a certain way. Uh, they don't know that he believed he was an old soul and an avatar and that, he, you know, they don't know any of this. So my opportunity to share this with his fans for the first time was this last weekend during Elvis week. And I brought 
some of the books, which are over 45 years old, the original books that he gave me. I read from them. I quoted from them. I shared with the audience about them. We had a beautiful, wonderful, sold-out crowd. And then, you know, at a certain moment, he literally showed himself to me and the entire audience in spirit. Now, explain what what happened. Well, here's what happened. And it was probably at least halfway through. Um, And I'm not a, you know, I don't watch the time and however long it takes, it takes. And I always ask the audience if you're getting bored and you feel like you want to go, you know, go. I understand if you have somewhere you have to be, don't feel embarrassed. I don't take it personally. And, you know, a lot of the subjects could have gone over people's heads, but everybody stayed, you know, unless they had a previous engagement where they could only stay for a certain amount of time and then they left. But I had been sharing one story in particular that happened that I actually posted on Facebook several, well, about, I would say, four or five years ago at least. And a lot of people that have stayed with me as Facebook friends remember the story. And one of them was that when when I was on tour with Elvis in one of the cities we were at, um, Elvis was came on stage and he was singing Love Me Tender. So... Um, he came over to the side of the stage where I was sitting, and he came up to the edge of it, and he started singing to me. And then very beneath beneath his voice, uh, he kind of whispered into the microphone, Hello, Mindy. Now, I'm the only, I'm the only one that heard it. Um, so I know that he said it. Uh-huh. And then he winked at me and then started to walk back to the center stage to sing the rest of the song to the audience. And um, so that was that. And then he told me at some point, and he wasn't thinking that he was going to die when he told me this, but he said, we were talking about afterlife and life after death, and um, we were talking about different subjects that he and I were both very interested in. And one of the subjects that he really enjoyed was, you know, is there an afterlife? Where does our soul go? Do we really have a soul and a spirit? Is it separate than our than our physical entity and all that? So we used to discuss these things, read about these things. We used to read and talk about astral projection, which is dreaming. Um, we used to talk about auras, uh, guessing if we could look at see the color of somebody's aura, which is their energy level, all these kinds of things. So uh, we had been talking about life after death, and he said, well, you know, he said, when I pass on, he said, I'm going to come back to the people that I love and care about, and I'm going to show them in some way that only they will recognize that I have passed over, that I'm okay, and that I'm visiting them, that it's my way of hello. Okay. And I said, really? Now, I've got like one minute. And so they told me I've got to, in one minute, I've got to be off the air. So can you tell me? Oh, my God. Okay, so what happened is, what happened is that as I was telling the story of that everywhere I go, it plays Love Me Tender, and then um, literally there were two ladies that stood up in the audience, and they were crying. They stood up. They interrupted the show. They said, we're sorry, but we have to show you this on their phone. And there were blue orbs all around the stage and all around me, and they showed one picture of one particular orb that was going up and down in front of me and moving everywhere. At the same time, the lights in the dojo started flickering on and off, on and off. And at the same time, outside of the tent, 
there was an EPA singing Love Me Tender, which is the song I always hear everywhere I go. And that's, you know, and he never sings Love Me Tender. That particular EPA never sings it. Somebody asked him why he sang it. He said, I don't know. He said, something just told me to sing it in that moment. All these three things happened in the same moment. The audience stood up and started crying. There was not a dry eye in the house. Oh. Our jaws were on the floor. Nobody could believe what they were seeing. That Nobody could believe it. They were just in absolute awe. And people started crying. They started applauding. Not for me. They started applauding for Elvis because they then realized that everything that I had been saying all along was true. And that, no. I was not, that I've not been lying about Elvis being able to make contact with me and other people. Did, did, was that uh, recorded? Was the performance it was recorded? Record, it, was re, it was recorded. The oh. two ladies have the recording on their site. You can see the blue orb. They sent me a picture and a recording, which I also sent you today. I don't know if you've seen it, but I will be posting more about that, and I will be posting the entire story on my pages over the weekend. And that's and on I Mindy was, Miller? That's on the Mindy it, Miller it, YouTube? Or, yeah, or? I have, I have. I have two pages, and then I have the Elvis Presley and Mindy Miller group that I'll be posting it on. Okay. And um, I think I posted it on Twitter. Uh, if I didn't, I will be posting that on Twitter as well as my Instagram account. But you can literally see the blue orb. Oh, my word. That's so that's so incredible. I hate to <laughs> – I could talk to you all day. It's just that went by so fast. Uh, but listen, if you missed any of this uh, recording, you can listen to it again. It's going to be on again. And uh, you guys, this is amazing. Mindy Miller, thank you so much for being on. And I just you love you so, so much. You are so welcome, Cindy. And we'll talk later. We will. We will. <laughs> okay. God, God, bless, God bless everybody. And everybody stay well. Thank you so much. You guys take care. We'll see you next Tuesday. And uh, first responders, we love you so much.